Hello, everybody, and welcome to Just End the Suffering podcast, featuring New York sports talk from a long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. I've got a very good show for you this week. A lot happening in the world of sports, so we're going to dive right in. We have a lot of different topics to hit, beginning with the Masters. We have, don't do a ton of golf on this podcast, but with the Masters coming up this week, I have reached out to our golf guy, Dan Martini. He came on here way back in August to talk about the PGA Championship. He's back this week. We're going to talk about the Masters, catch up on what's been happening in the world of golf to this point, and offer some tips on who might win this event. That's coming up on the show. Also, we joined by Mike Demurgis, another guest we haven't heard from in a while. He was the last on back in October to talk about the Yankee offseason preview. He's back with me in the studio today to talk about the Yankees, all the injuries that are going on with that team, and catch up a little bit on what's been going on with them early in the season. Be sure you're locked in until the end of the show for this week's two-minute drill. We're offering my take on the Jet new uniforms. They had the whole big thing, the Dog and Pony show on last Thursday night. They did a whole thing. JV Smooth was there. They made like a fashion, like heavy metal concert hybrid thing, and I have thoughts. I'll give those to you at the end of the show, but we're going to get started with this week's opening tip. We're going to recap the Final Four and our new national champion right after this. Got to go fast. Jerome gives it up. Far side. Hunter. It's a three to tie it. Oh, my goodness. With 12 seconds remaining. Hunter continues with his great play in the second half. Knocks down that corner three. And what, what, what happens a lot is great defense sometimes over helps. A good reaction is in the dribble. You're looking to help your partner out for a wide open knockdown jumper. All right. And we're back on this week's opening tip. That call is her courtesy of the CBS broadcast team of Jim Nance, Bill Raftery, and Grant Hill. We have a new national champion in college basketball. Congratulations to the Virginia Cavaliers who complete the ultimate redemption story in sports. Go from complete embarrassment last year, losing in the first round to UMBC and as a 16 seed. Now they are on top of the college basketball world. We'll get to last night's game in just a second, recording on Tuesday afternoon. But we will start at the beginning of the Final Four because how we got here was very interesting. Obviously, UVA takes on Auburn first game Saturday night. And the end of this game, my goodness, it was crazy. Ty Jerome on Virginia, a local product for the New York area. He comes from New Rochelle, Iona Prep specifically in high school so he is knocking down three after three after three but picks up his fourth foul late in the second half has to go to the bench what happens Auburn goes on a 14 nothing run they grab a 61 57 lead with just seconds to go and then the end of this game just goes completely haywire Kyle Guy runs the right corner Nails a three in the corner. Cuts it to one. UVA fouls Jared Harper on Auburn. Harper up one. Needs to hit both free throws to make it a three-point game. He only hits one. And remember this. This will be very important later on. So, obviously, the refs, we all know about this. They missed the double dribble where the ball goes off the foot of Ty Jerome. UVA keeps the ball. They get into the corner to Kyle Guy again. He misses, but he gets fouled. And UVA hits the free throws. Guy calmly knocks down all three with the ice water in his veins. Auburn cannot get the winning shot off. 
and Virginia wins. Everyone is moaning and groaning and complaining about the refs, saying, how could they do this again? They screwed Auburn. This is just like the NFC title game. No, it's not. It is not the NFC title game. Let me tell you why, too. Yes, they missed a double dribble. But you know what? Jared Harper needs to hit that free throw. If he hits the free throw, the missed double dribble doesn't mean anything. Yes, they were also dumb to foul Kyle Guy, and it's a tough call. But you know what? They're going to call that foul early in the game. They might as well call it the end of the game. And you know what? If he hits that free throw, none of this matters. Kyle Guy just ties the game. He does not take the lead. He ties the game. We go to overtime. And who knows? Maybe Auburn wins in overtime. But instead, they lose. And it's entirely on them. They did this to themselves. Making free throws is important in college basketball. We have seen this way too many times when teams miss free throws down the stretch. It cost them games. Remember Memphis in 2008? They had a huge lead down the stretch and missed free throw after free throw after free throw. And all of a sudden, Mario Chalmers hits a three in the last seconds. Jayhawks tie the game. Jayhawks win the championship in overtime. That's number one. That's the first game. Game two, Texas Tech, Michigan State. People who know me well know I'm a big Spartan guy. And I got to say, Texas Tech absolutely whipped them on the defensive end. Matt Mooney for the Red Raiders has the game of his life knocking down a ridiculous shot a ridiculous shot the Red Raiders got next to nothing at Jared Culver and they still won this game and it's all because of the Texas Tech defense their defense was phenomenal they pushed Michigan State out of the paint like crazy and Michigan State basketball they like to operate out of the post Nick Ward and Xavier Tillman the two primary bigs on Michigan State they combined for just 10 shot attempts. 10 in a 40-minute game. That will not get the job done. Now Michigan State is not a lockdown, knock-it-down perimeters for shooting team. And that brings us to yesterday, to the national title game, which we entered this with an over-under of 119 points. Vegas clearly did not think this is going to be a good basketball game. But surprise, these teams managed to score. And they scored a lot. This game came down to a lot of things. Number one, the battle of the lottery picks between Culver and DeAndre Hunter from Virginia. And DeAndre Hunter absolutely owned Jared Culver. Culver could not do anything against Hunter, who is a very, very good defensive player. And he also scored 27 points, 25 which came after the break. That's number one. Number two, Virginia, which is known for the pack line defense, which is known for their extremely slow tempo. They actually played the slowest tempo in the country. They were 353 out of 353 in terms of moving the ball. This team scored 85 points in the national championship game, and they knocked down 11 threes against a defense that allowed just 56 a game in the tournament. That says a lot right there. Because what Virginia did last night that was incredible was they were able to stretch out the Texas Tech defense. By knocking down those threes, they forced the Red Raiders to extend defensively. That opened up opportunities on the inside for guys like DeAndre Hunter to drive. 
They opened driving lanes for Kyle Guy, for Ty Jerome, for Kihei Clark, for that whole crew. And well, you know it. They are now national champions. And this is an incredible turnaround for this program. Just a year ago, we were sitting here on a Friday night in the first round laughing at the Cavaliers. This team was a joke. UMBC shot them out of the building. That game was not even like UMBC hit a three at the end to win. They won that game by 20 points. Now, a year later, they're cutting down the nets in Minneapolis, and they are the champions of college basketball. What a story. You know the 30 for 30 is coming someday. Probably then, a couple of years, on Selection Sunday, when ESPN does its bracketology show, we will have a 30 for 30 on the Virginia turnaround. I can't wait to see that. That's going to be a lot of fun. And now, COD basketball fades into the background for a while. You have all the guys who are going to jump to the draft. I mean, Zion Williams and the Duke freshmen are gone. Minus Trey Jones, who stayed. We have the coaching carousels going on. St. John's now without a coach as Chris Mullen steps down. There are rumors they're interested in Bobby Hurley from Arizona State. Tim Clue is my owner of the top two candidates at the moment. That's going on. And we have a top 25 that's way too early out there. There are some teams out there I think can be big factors next year because of their experience. Virginia, obviously, brings back a lot of key pieces. DeAndre Hunter is gone to the NBA. Ty Jerome might be going with him, but they still have Kyle Guy. They still have Kihei Clark. They still have Mamadi Diakite. They still have a lot of key pieces on that roster, and that makes them a dangerous team. Auburn, a lot of their pieces coming back. Interesting scenario for them. If Chuma Okiki decides to come back, I mean, he tore his ACL in the, in the NCAA tournament in the Sweet 16 against North Carolina. He comes back. With that kind of shooting that Auburn has, they can be very dangerous. Obviously, the team I think could be a huge factor next year is Michigan State. Michigan State loses two players off that team. Kenny, Kenny Goins, Matt McQuaid are graduating, but pretty much everybody else come back. Cassius Winston, Nick Ward should be back as seniors, along with Joshua Langford. He was one of their, I think their second leading scorer before he got hurt back in December, back in January and missed the rest of the season. They have freshman Aaron Henry. They have a big guy who hasn't didn't get much playing time this year, should be in the mix next year. There are a couple of good freshmen coming in. That mix of experience makes them a favorite, but it's far too early to speculate on the next college basketball season. A lot of signings still to come in terms of recruiting. A lot of potential uh, defections to the NBA. A lot of coaches are going to change places. We will check back on the college world some point in the coming months, but for now, this is it in terms of college basketball on the podcast. Up next, we're going to shift focus to the links. Down at Augusta National, our golf guy, Dan Martini is going to be joining us right after this. McElroy to Ty Furyk at the 15th for birdie, and McElroy pours it in. That coming off the bogey at 14. So clutch for Rory, especially after missing that putt so badly on the hole before. He just put it out of his mind. All right, and we are back on the Just End the Suffering podcast. You guys heard Rory McIlroy hitting a big shot to win, help win the Players' Championship a couple weeks ago. Golf season has been in full swing for a while. I have not had a chance to do much golf on the podcast, but when we do, I like to bring in this guy. He's talked to me before about golf at the PGA Championship last year. He works for the PGA Tour. 
Dan Demartini is back with us on the podcast. Dan, welcome. How are you? Thanks, Mike. I'm happy to be here and love talking golf, so thanks for having me. Not a problem. It's been a long time since we had you on the podcast. I think it's back since October. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we did the uh, we did the NFL picks. Yeah. So my other passion. Your other passion, but this time we're talking about your primary passion, which is golf. So obviously I have not paid much attention to golf this year, so can you help me catch up a little bit on what's been happening? Sure. Yeah, the season has been great so far. Uh, technically, it starts back in October uh, with our Asia Swing events. Uh, not a lot of U.S. viewers get to see that right now uh, just because of the time difference and a lot of things like that. But uh, we had some great tournaments overseas. Uh, we brought it back with uh, the Tournament of Champions out in Hawaii. And then we had a great California Swing, uh, West Coast Swing, really, uh, we had Ricky winning at Waste Management, Phil Mickelson at Pebble Beach, um, some some big winners there, and then obviously the call that you just heard, which was Rory McIlroy winning at the Players Championship, right here in my backyard at TPC Sawgrass. So it's been a fantastic year, and uh, we're really excited to see where it goes, all culminating in the FedEx Cup playoffs uh, in August. Yeah, I mentioned I saw last year. We talked about this a little bit last time you we were on talking about golf at the, during the PGA. Is that they changed the calendar up now because the PGA used to be in August and now it's in May. So, can you help me catch up again on what that new calendar looks like? Yeah, absolutely. So the whole point was to try to get golf in the eyes of the sports casual fan uh, in a, in a more succinct, more specific way. So the thinking was uh, a big event every event going right into the playoffs in August and be completely done before the college football season starts, the NFL season starts, uh, and obviously the MLB playoffs. So what happens here is you've got the Players' Championship in March, you've got the Masters in April, the PGA Championship in May, you've got the U.S. Open in June, the British Open in July, and then the FedEx Cup playoffs, three big weeks leading right into a winner at the at the mid to end point of August. So it's really going to build a lot of excitement. It's going to be a lot of fun. Every few weeks, you're going to have a big-time event with the best players in the world playing. So we're really excited to see what the results are uh, with a you know, big culminating finish at East Lake in Atlanta. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun. Obviously, I don't know too much about Pacific golfers right now, so can you give me a quick like a primer on some guys who are playing well and some who aren't? Sure. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's an interesting time for us. We've got a lot of guys who are playing great and have had great seasons so far, and we've got a few big names out there that everybody knows who are still quietly getting their games in shape. We're going to see a lot this week when we head out there to Augusta. Um, Right now, some guys that are playing great are obviously Rory McIlroy. Uh, but guys like Paul Casey have been fantastic this season. Matt Kuchar is actually number one right now in the FedEx Cup standings. Uh, Dustin Johnson's a big name. He's number 10 in the FedEx Cup, but he's had a great season so far. So those are the guys definitely to keep an eye on this week. Uh, they're all well within the top 10. They have multiple top five finishes this year. Yeah, those are some good guys keeping an eye on. Obviously, the one name everyone, all the casuals know about, including me, Tiger Woods. How is Tiger <laughs> looking right now? You know, there's 
It's interesting for Tiger because he's had a very quiet year so far. Um, I think that Tiger's game right now, he's a little inconsistent when it comes to the putting. And, you know, for Tiger to be successful, he's got to be able to hit those 10 to 20 footers. I mean, basically any PGA Tour player has got to be able to hit those mid-range putts. Tiger right now is having a little bit of consistency issues. Uh, we watched him out here at the Players' Championship. And, you know, he had a really great tournament going until just this one blow-up hole on the 17th, the Island Green, on Friday. Had he not made quadruple there, he might have been in a way better spot to finish that tournament. So that's obviously he then came out, played pretty well at WGC Dell match play, Uh, you know, beat Rory McIlroy there. didn't win the tournament, but definitely showed that he's got his game together. I think that maybe Augusta is the time that we see a, a, a real Tiger sighting in the top ten on the standings. That would definitely be exciting for the casuals. Obviously, Tiger didn't win last year. Patrick Reed won at, at Augusta last year. Do you think he can repeat? You know, it's really hard to say. He's He grew up just not too far from Augusta. This is kind of his area of the country. He knows this style of golf. Uh, his game was way more in shape going into last year's Masters than it is this year. Um, and I also think that there's a degree of relief when you win a major tournament. Uh, I think he might be having a little bit of that hangover effect of, I've already got my green jacket, you know, the pressure's off, but maybe there's some hungrier guys in the field this week that he might not have his game in a place to fight them all off. You know, there's a lot of responsibility on the past winner of the Masters. They have a lot of hosting gigs that they have to do. There's a lot of interviews. Uh, It can be a very distracting week, so you know, that kind of leads into why we haven't seen too many back-to-back winners and multiple winners at Augusta. So I, if I were a betting man, I would, uh, I would kind of steer a little bit away from Reed this week, but it's nothing against his game. It's, it's more so just the aura around being Masters champion. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. I looked it up before. I mean, we haven't had a repeat winner at the Masters since Tiger in 01 and 02, which is pretty crazy think about it. Absolutely, yeah, and and obviously, you know, Tiger's game was so put together at that point. Uh, it might be a very long time until we see another back-to-back. Yeah, right now, entering the tournament, our favorite is Rory McIlroy. We obviously heard one of the players. He's going off at seven to one. He has won every slant, every major except for the Masters. Do you think this is the year that he breaks through and he wins that green jacket? Gosh, I really hope so. It, it'd be a great story for him. Uh, you know, he's so good with the fans. He's such a great ambassador for the game of golf, uh, both here in the U.S. and internationally. He's got the game to do it. We've now seen him put together four really sound rounds. Uh, and going out and getting my own eyes on him at the Players' Championship, that course might have been playing as difficult as it's ever been, so he made it look pretty smooth. I would say if there was ever a year for him to win the Masters, it's this one. Yeah, and looks. I want to see what he does. That's definitely going to be interesting to watch. So, obviously, now we live in an age of sports gambling, sports betting. You've looked at the odds for the Masters, so 
Who are some guys you think would be good bets for this tournament? Sure. So obviously, I can't be betting. Uh, you know, having being an employee of the tour. But what I will say, if I were a betting man. I would go with guys in this range. Um, guys I like on the list, Paul Casey's going at 30 to 1, which is crazy to me for a guy who's had, I think he's had five top fives so far this year. He's playing some phenomenal golf. He's number four in the FedEx Cup standings. Uh, he's got the game to do it to be consistent hitting greens and regulation. I mean, I would not be shocked if that, that would be the biggest bet uh, to make there because it's you know thirty to one is is crazy to me with his game. Fowler at sixteen to one, John Rahm at sixteen to one. Those are two guys I also like their games. Um, obviously, Ricky Fowler finishing uh, second last year was great. Uh, Rahm finished fourth. So I like those guys. They've shown that they can put together four days of solid play on Augusta. Uh, those, that's where I would lean. Rory, Casey, Ricky, and John Rahm. Any deep sleepers you have in mind? You know, deep sleeper would be Mark Leishman. You know, he really plays well there, or he doesn't. <laughs> it's very cut and dry, so that's why he's got to fit, fit in the deep sleeper category. Um, in the past, he's finished tied for fourth. Uh, I think he's finished in the top ten twice. Um, you know, he won the CIMB Classic earlier this year, and he's he's got several top fives, so his game is definitely organized right now. You see his name early in the leaderboards almost every time he plays. So if there was ever a year for him to kind of surprise a few people out there in the golfing world, this would be it. Yeah, that sounds like an interesting sleeper there. I mean, he's going off at 50-1. to 1. I know you legally are not going to bet on it, but for those of you who do, that's not a bad play. Oh, absolutely not. I, th- I think Casey Leishman, you know, if it, th- those are the kinds of guys who they've been around now for a long time. They're seasoned PGA Tour professionals. They've played big in big events, and uh, th- they can handle the pressure of having a lead. So, uh, you know, they might not be the, you know, boomer bust uh, type of play that Rory McIlroy has, where, you know, he's the kind of guy he can go out and birdie nine holes in a row. But if they get a lead and the course is playing really tough, they have the game and, and the mental toughness to hold on and, and, and win. Okay, so gun to your head. You have to pick one guy to win this tournament. Who are you picking? Uh, one guy to win the tournament. I'm going to go with Ricky Fowler. Why is that? Uh, yeah. Ricky Fowler specifically because, you know, how he finished last year, uh, you know, having that great push at the end, everybody was pulling for him. Uh, I think that the win at Waste Management this year kind of takes a little bit of pressure off of him. He already knows his position's pretty good for the end of the season. And I really think that he wants that big marquee win outside of the Players' Championship. He's trying to justify his, you know, his place as, you know, the stars of the sport. And what better than to tack on a Masters' Championship? Oh, for sure. So, th- Dan, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, you want everybody let, to let everybody know how to follow you on social media and some of the stuff you're up to. Sure. So you can kind of follow me through my new adventure here, which is uh, the Out of Town Fan Podcast. Uh, my new Twitter handle is Out of Town Fan Pod. 
uh, my the whole thinking there is to try to bring light to some of the issues that fans have when you don't live in the cities that you're fans of that team. Uh, for me specifically, I, I live down here in Jacksonville, Florida. I'm a fan of teams pretty far away, so I uh, wanted to tackle some of the issues of how to stay connected to your teams when you're very, very far away. Yeah. So give that a listen. You'll see it coming out pretty soon, and uh, I'm excited about it. Welcome to the world of podcasting, my friend. Yeah, I appreciate it. I'm sure I'll have you on very soon. Yeah, well, I may not fit the theme specifically, but we'll, we'll, we'll find a way to get me on. Yes, absolutely. There's there's one big topic that's coming up that I want to get your opinion on, uh, and I'll keep it as a surprise for now, and hopefully the listeners will uh, listen to both of us back-to-back each week. There you go. That would be nice, Dan. Thanks for all the time. Before we let you go, I also want to point out we are playing a fantasy baseball this week in our league that Philip uh, was playing here, so best of luck to you. I appreciate that. My team got off to a pretty cold start last week, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, I happen to score a nice win. I picked, I picked a 9-5 victory. Helped I keep the momentum going. Dan, thanks for all the time, as always. Appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. All right, that was Dan Martini on the PGA Tour, uh, from the PGA Tour, talking about the Masters. Up next, we're going to dive more into baseball, talk New York Yankees with Mike Demergis right after this. That one's driven deep to left field. Smith back, track, wall, see ya. A three-run home run for Clint Frazier. And the Yankees go ahead. All right, and we're back on the Just End the Suffering podcast. That call is her courtesy of the S Network's Michael K. Clint Frazier with the go-ahead three-run homer on Saturday helped the Yankees beat the Baltimore Orioles. The Yankees end up sweeping that series. Joining me today is a guy who we had last on the podcast back in October, preview of the Yankee offseason. Yankees are in a little bit of trouble right now with the injury situation. I wanted to get him back here to talk about it. Mike Demers is back with us today. Mike, how are you doing? A little bit of trouble? They're in a lot of bit of trouble. They lose their ace pitcher, Luis Severino. I mean, come on. They're, they're in more than a little trouble. they got a catcher that can't stop a, a ball if it was the size of the truck. They've got DHs all over the place. Uh, when, you, when you have a team that can't field fielders, there's a problem. Yeah, I mean, they have 11 guys on the table list entering this week. 11. That's like Met-like. What is going on over there? Uh, it's in the water. I, look, in- injuries, you never can tell with injuries. Uh, but the concern I have with this team is there's too many DHs on this team. To me, Gary Sanchez is great if he's a DH because he's, he's not a catcher. Uh, you look at Andujar. I'm not convinced he can play the field consistently. I don't know if I've trusted him. He could be a DH. Giancarlo Stanton is a DH. Luke Voigt is a DH. Greg Bird, we don't know what he is. So you have all these DHs on this team, uh, and you don't have position players. And it was funny, too, because Miguel Andujar was, and Stanton, who mentioned our DHs, they're not even there right now. They're just sitting on the shelf hurt. Yeah, he, he's hurt, and uh, you know Frazier's getting some opportunities, as you heard in that home run. Uh, it's great to see him play. He's the kind of guy I think they need, a real spark plug, uh, a, a guy that uh, can ignite this team and be a real catalyst for this offense. I, I, I just don't see the logic that Brian Cashman's gone through over, over these years. He should have made the move, Christ, Christian Yelich. You have uh, you have all the lineup throughout between Judge to Giancarlo Stanton to Sanchez, all these big righties in the lineup that just swing basically the same. They have a big hole in their lineup, and, and you know, uh, you know, too many strikeouts back to back, and you you don't know what you're going to get from Bird this year. It doesn't look like much, and then you add Void to it, put him. So that's four power righties that that are kind of kind of the same hitters. Yeah, well, I mean, it'd be funny if they were all power lefties because at least you could take advantage of the porch in the Bronx, and now you can't even do that. 
No, exactly. They don't have a power threat, really, um, and which is bizarre if you know the history of the Yankees going back to Babe Ruth. They always had a power lefty. You know, in the 90s, I mean, Paul O'Neill wasn't much of a power lefty. He did, you know, 17 to 20 home runs, something like that. But Daryl Strawberry was dropped in there as well. Um, and then, you know, later on they signed Jason Giambi, so they had a power lefty in that. But this team is known for having power lefties, and they just don't have it right now. And it's too much of the same, too much of the same stuff in the lineup. Yeah, there's a lot of saying this in the lineup. There's a lot of new guys in the lineup because of all the injuries, all the opportunities are being created for younger players. So who do you think needs to step up the most for the Yankees right now to help this team get through this portion of the schedule? The guy is, is Gary Sanchez is to be consistent. I know he had three home runs the other day, which is great, but gets picked off three times in three or four days. You can't have that. And again, his inconsistency at catching, unacceptable unacceptable to have a guy like this to be committed to this i don't think he's going to make it as a catcher and i saw this you know going back to last year i'm shocked that they actually brought him back i would like to see him traded i was calling for odell beckham to be traded a year before he was traded so i'm just surprised to me when you look at championship teams you need tell me who the catcher is you think of the big red machine you had johnny bench you think of the yankees you had thurman munson uh, tell me who the catcher is. The, the Marlins, when they beat the Yankees, had Pudge Rodriguez. The, the Yankee teams had Jorge Posada and Joe Girardi. The catcher is a big identifying point for a team. And to me, if, if Gary Sanchez is an identifying point, uh, this team ain't going to the World Series. Yeah, it's funny because remember in the offseason, there were rumors that the they were talking to the Marlins on JT Real Muto. Should have made off, the deal. They were offering the, Sanchez for him. Yeah, yeah. should have made the deal. Get him out of the American League. Send him to the National League. This way he doesn't come back to haunt you unless it's in a World Series. It's too important a position. You, you can't be giving runs away. And this Yankee defense just continually does that. And they don't manufacture runs. It's, it's, it's all or nothing. When things go wrong in the field, um, you, you see them, their, their body language kind, kind of sinks a little bit. Yeah, I agree with that. Obviously, a lot of position player injuries, but the big injury, I think, right now hovering on this team is Luis Severino, who has the setback, goes for the MRI, and sounds like we're not seeing him anytime soon. How big a blow is it to this rotation? It's a, it's a huge blow. It's, you know, he's the, he's the ace of the staff. I mean, it's, it's a huge blow uh, f- for this team. You know, he's the guy that's going to carry them. Uh, through the, you know the, the dog days of August, they're hoping you know he won't melt like he melted in the second half last year. And you know this is time for him to step up and be the ace. So if you, you, you're too young to remember, or you might not be, yeah, there was a lot of question. I remember having Larry Boa on a show I was producing at XM at the time, and they were questioning wh- whether uh, Clayton Kershaw could be an ace. And Boa said he wasn't an ace yet. Well, he was. A few years later, he became an ace. And Severino is not an ace yet. Yeah, he's not. Do you think we see him at all this year? I have no idea. I'm not privy to the uh, to the medical reports. You know, you're not going to get a truth from the Yan- get the truth from from Brian Cashman and the Yankees. So uh, maybe this summer, who knows? But if they don't have Severino back, boy, this is going to be another wasted year. And you know, these players aren't getting any younger. You know, Judge is 28 years old. Yeah. So the years are starting to, to move along. So they need to they need to win a World Series here. Uh, if this group, this this new core four or core whatever. Uh, is, is going to do something and it's going to be hard to mimic what the Yankees did in the 90s yeah and obviously right now they have Gio Gonzalez down on the farm he should be coming up soon to help fill that rotation hole do you think that they're gonna have to go get a guy at the deadline try and get Madison Bumgarner off the Giants try and make the run this year L- listen you you look at teams that made runs in the postseason how many of them got somebody at the deadline it, it's a must yeah. you know 96 they did it with Cecil Fielder uh in, in 93 although they didn't uh, win a World Series uh, the, the Braves got Fred McGriff. 
you know. So it, it's it's uh, it's a necessity to make deals at the deadline. A couple of years ago, who did the Astros get? Verlander. And it, and it changed the tide of baseball history. Yeah, absolutely it did. And in terms of just the rest of the rotation, how do you feel about it at the moment? Because they obviously did some work there this year. They brought Paxton in. Right now they have uh, Domingo Herman filling in. Uh, Jonathan Isaac has been sort of in that hybrid between a fifth starter and the guy coming in behind an opener. So. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's solid, but I, none of them are aces. You're not talk, talking about it. In the 90s, they had you go up and down the, the pitching uh, rotation. You had Roger Clemens, El Duque, Andy Pettit, David Cohn. You're talking guys that were all number ones on any other team. Yeah. All number ones on any other team. Here you got guys that are like two two Bs maybe, maybe threes. Where's the ace? There's no ace here. You know, Paxton's going to step up and Hap going to step up and, and become an ace maybe at best, but not, not an ace as we know an ace to be a, a Scherzer or Verlander. Yeah, I mean, I think the hope was that when they traded for Paxton, he would be that guy because he was basically that for Seattle last year when he was when he was healthy. But yeah, well, well, we'll see if they can do it in New York. A lot of strange things happen to pitchers and players when they come to New York. Yeah, and I know the feeling because I'm a Mets fan, I'm very fortunate that we have an ace for the next five years in Jacob Degrom. But like Yankees, they have a more complete team, but they just don't have that top shelf pitching that you need to get to the top in October. No, they don't. Absolutely, they don't. Without question, and they, like I said, they were hoping that Sevy would be the guy. Yeah, they were, and luckily for them, even though they're hurt, I felt the schedule makers did them a huge, huge favor in April because they play a lot of bad teams this month. So, like, they as long as they tread water, I thought they should be fine. Well, they need to you know do more than tread water. They got to play six thirty, six thirty, six fifty kind of baseball. Yeah. So you can't play five fifty baseball. They got to do more than tread water. You got to really uh, take advantage of these moments. And I don't care if you don't have your starters here. You're the you're the Yankees. One of the biggest payrolls in baseball. Got to get the job done. My counter to that, is, though, is just the fact that, like, if you look at 5 through 9 to the Yankee lineup at a given night, now it looks sort of like the back half of a spring training lineup that so some of these guys are playing, like, Byron, oh, yeah. Sparata. Yeah, it's pedestrian at Mike best. It's, it's very pedestrian. It's very much, as you know, being a Met fan, very Mets-like. Yeah, it is. <laughs> second, second half of the Met years, usually a lot of the, a lot of the Yankee lineups look like right now with all these guys who are just sort of, you know, call off in the minors, mm-hmm. hoping for their shot. They don't usually have the upside like a Clint, like a Clint Frazier or like even Espada. I think that's his name, right? Mm-hmm. The shortstop. Yeah, Espada. Yeah, they they those kind of guys need to step up, and they're playing bad baseball teams. I mean, they have the Royals coming in, they have the Giants coming in, the Diamondbacks. A lot of these games are at home too, so they should be able to withstand these. L- listen, you can't just take two or three. Some of these, you, you got to sweep. Yeah. You, you, you got to start sweeping. And they did sweep over the weekend. They swept the Orioles. Oh, okay. Then then they lose last night to the Astros in a game they should have won. Yeah, it's also so you got to win games you're supposed to lose. It's you know the vaunted bullpen fell yeah. apart last night. Yeah, so. that, that vaunted bullpen still missing a piece. Uh, Roll uh, not Roll Chapman. Uh, Del Batanz is still out, and any idea? I just don't even know when he's coming back. I feel like none of these guys are even close at this point. No, he should be coming back soon. So the, the Yankees definitely miss him, but you know he's got to get in the groove. It's not going to be lights out right away. It takes a little while, a little while to get back in the groove. Yeah, for sure, and obviously like. One thing that helps the Yankees out is that the Red Sox are having their own issues right now. They're not off to a hot start either. No, that definitely helps because you don't feel the pressure um, of that. You know, when, when a team like the, the 84 Tigers starts off the year 35-5, and five, that's a problem. You're not going to catch them. So uh, there is margin for error. I, here's my thing with the Yankees, and I've been complaining about it for, for two years now, is, again, they're, they don't create opportunities. They have a poor defense, uh, and it's all or nothing. Yeah, I don't. I don't like that approach either because I like the. I wrote this on my blog recently. I feel like the Yankees should worry more about like 
it was all, all the talk in the winter about, oh, they should be in on Machado. They should be in on Bryce Harper. Like, they don't need another slugger. They need guys who can string hits together, yeah, play, exactly. play defense, yeah. run the bases. Yep, yep. That's why I feel like your guys like your Brett Gardner are valuable on this team because they're not just 50 home run sluggers. They're guys well, who can play defense and make contact. Yeah, and that's and you know great opportunity for Clint Frazier to, to come through because he could be one of those guys. Tyler Way as well, if he ever managed to hit the big league level. Well, well, we'll see. I don't know how much faith I have in him. Don't know much about him, but you know, certainly Frazier, they've stuck with, stuck with through the concussions. They believe in something. They talk about this kid's bat speed, which we saw yeah. uh, the other night. So, incredible bat speed this kid has. So, you know, again, if he could come through, he could make a difference in this team. Also huge for Voight and Bird because remember back in spring training they were talking about oh we we can't carry both these guys now because of the injuries they're both playing every single day you never know yeah you never know you never know what's going to happen with baseball 160 games guys are going to get hurt it's so. al- it's always funny how these things tend to work out when they say we have too many guys <laughs> yeah. and then all of a sudden we oh we need both of these guys anyway. yeah an embarrassment of riches and all of a sudden they're scrapping for like we said the lineup that looks a little minor leagueish at the back end of the lineup that's that with the Mets too we were talking about oh we have all this depth that we need to have all these infielders and all of a sudden Todd Frazier Jed Lowry get hurt in spring training and all of a sudden Pete Alonso is not only on the team he's starting at first base on opening day yeah that's a great story there Pete Alonso he gives him, he gives the Mets fans something to be pumped up about yeah. yeah I was at the game on Sunday and he gets as I mean aside from DeGrom I think he's the most popular player on that team yeah poor Dominic Smith is uh, cut, he's cut into Dominic Smith's time yeah Dom Smith's playing well too it's not even like he's slumping he's like yeah. pr- pr- producing when he plays but he's just not Pete Alonso yeah well he, Smith had his chance in the last couple of years and really uh, w- wasn't physically ready for it and uh, this is what happens sometimes when you get your chance in the majors you got to take advantage of it yeah so the Yankees they're I mean 10 games 5-5 five and five right now they went, they had the sweep of the Orioles they lose last night in Houston recording this on Tuesday afternoon so what do you feel like an ideal record is for them to get through April and when they start getting back some of your guys like your Stantons and your hopefully your Hexes uh, when, when the month started I thought 19 wins maybe yeah. I was hoping uh, now who knows f- 15 wins maybe yeah, it's like that's the bar I was at with the Mets. Like, just get 15 wins in a month, and then by the end of the year, you're close to 90, and you're basically well, right in the playoff mix. Uh, again, not acceptable for the Yankees. It's yeah. just, it's just it's subpar for them. All right, that's cool. I thank Mike. Thanks for coming by. I take all the time to talk about the Yankees. Really appreciate that. Before you go, you want everybody to know how to follow you on social media and some of the stuff you're up to. Yeah, sure. Uh, at Sports Radio Prof, uh, follow me on Twitter, and uh, or go to YouTube and type in Mad Sports Radio. All right, Mike, thanks for all the time. Really appreciate it. Thank you. All right, that was Mike DeMurray on the New York Yankees. Up next, this week's Two Minutes Row, we're going to talk about the New York Jets' new uniforms and the crazy fashion show they had promoting all of it right after this. Ladies and gentlemen, kicking this off, wearing the cotton green uniforms, welcome your quarterback, Sam Darnold, and wide All right, and we are back on the Just End the Suffering podcast. What you just heard was some sort of promo hype uh, mixtape kind of deal from the Jet Uniform reveal last Thursday night. And I got to tell you, I checked some of this out, and this is one of the strangest things I've ever seen. First of all, they are I'm not a big fan of these uniforms coming out. Let's be real. The design they had... That goes back to the 60s when they won their only championship. It was a classic design. The color was right. The mix of the green and white was right. It just felt perfect. Now I look at these. I'm like, what are we doing here, guys? First of all, the names are atrocious. Gotham Green, Spotlight White, and the dumbest of all, Stealth Black. What 
are we talking about here? These are football uniforms. This is not the New York fashion show. This is not a rock concert. And black has never been a part of the Jet uniform. They've never worn black. They never sh- They never have. They never should. The green reminds me a lot of the 80s Jet uniforms. And I did not think that was a particularly nice. I don't think they were a very good design. And I mean... Over the, since Bill Parcells made them switch back to the classic design when it came in the, in the late 90s, they've not worn those again for a reason. The white's okay, but it's hard to screw up white. Let's be honest. And the other thing, big takeaway I got from this event was the fact that they are trying so, so, so hard to make themselves the New York team. All we heard about in this event was the Jets are New York. They're all about New York. JB Smooth's a New Yorker, and they embody everything that New York's about. Let's hear for a second. I pulled a clip from JB Smooth's little hype tape about the Jets' uniforms. Let's hear this. Spoiler alert. We aren't going to stop until we get what we came for. You see, we represent an area that is proudly and boldly stitched across our chest. New York. Unless you're from here, you don't know. Unless you're one of us, you couldn't possibly understand how we live, the hustle, grind of it all. And yet, New Yorkers always make it work. It's an attitude that allows us to honestly acknowledge our flaws and still be able to shout out, we are the greatest city in the world. Am I lying? Taking the next step can be hard. But we are determined. We are committed. We are relentless. We were built for this. Built to shine under the brightest light. You play in New Jersey. You are not a New York team at this point. You play in New Jersey. Get over it. You and the Giants have not played in New York since the 1980s. Now, I get it. They clearly feel like now is the time to rebrand themselves. They want to kick off a whole new era of Jet football. You have the young quarterback in Sam Darnold. you got the big, exciting offensive weapon coming in in Le'Veon Bell. And you have this whole new coaching staff. You sense the end of the Patriot dynasty is coming. Tom Brady's not going to play forever. Rob Gronkowski just retired. But at the end of the day, these are just uniforms. I don't care. You wear these, wear the old ones, wear the designs of the 80s, wear the New York Titan throwbacks, wear tutus on the field. I don't care. Win some football games. Win the division for once. The Jets have not had a home playoff game since 2002. That's a very long time. 2002. It's the last time the Jets hosted a playoff game. How about that? How about going to the Super Bowl for the first time in 50 years? And please, please, I am begging you guys. Do not ever use the code names for these uniforms ever again. It's really embarrassing. Just please, let's win football games and not worry about winning the fashion or winning the hearts of New Yorkers. Just go on the field and win. That's all we care about. 
And that's going to do it for today's show. I want to thank my guest, Dan Martini for coming by to talk about the, the uh, Masters and lay out some strategies for betting it and offer a preview of what's to come this weekend at Augusta. I also want to thank Mike DeMurdys for coming by to talk about the New York Yankees injury issues and some of their concerns they have early in the season. If you want more good stuff like this podcast, including my look at the renaissance of the Brooklyn Nets, who clinched the playoff spot last week and are now going back to the postseason for the first time in four years, check out the blog over at justandthesuffering.wordpress.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or TuneIn. Any of those locations. Search for Just and the Suffering, and you can find the podcast there. Go ahead and subscribe. Please leave your feedback and star ratings as well. These help make the show get even better going forward. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. And tweet me with hashtag too many DHs. Give me at the end of this week's show. Next week, we're going to have a playoff special on the podcast. We're going to do the NHL and NBA playoffs are kicking off this week. We're going to dive right into it. Pete Considori, our hockey guy, is coming into the studio next week. We're going to break down the NHL playoffs. Working on a guest for the NBA playoffs as well. Set the stage for what's going on there. We'll keep an eye on these as they develop going forward. A little more stuff as well. Maybe a little baseball, depending on what's going on here. If something interesting pops up. Until then, I hope you have a better week than Auburn Tigers fans. Mm-hmm.